Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 3. It's good to see everyone this morning. Appreciate you all being here. We have several of our own members who are out of town, and, and uh, so it's good to have visitors with us. Appreciate you all coming our way. It's good to see some familiar faces with us as well. Appreciate you being here. On Sunday nights, we are studying the Sermon on the Mount, as recorded by Matthew in chapters 5, 6, and 7. This morning, I'd like to bring a lesson uh, from that, from our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And I wanted to stress and remember that in the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord speaks about the kingdom of heaven. And so as we look here in chapter 3 of Matthew, I wanted to remind us a little bit and the lead up into what our Lord starts talking about in chapter 5 with a reminder about John the Baptist and then a reminder about our Lord as he begins his ministry. So if you're there in Matthew chapter 3, uh, I wanted to look at John's proclamation here in as recorded in the first three verses of Matthew chapter 3. It says, Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 3, For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So we know the story and we know, remember about John the Baptist, how he came on the scene and how it was he who was marking the way for the coming Messiah. And he's, as he's there in the wilderness and, and preaching the message, the message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All the time of the prophecies, the prophets, the things that they had written about the coming of the Messiah, that time is now here. As we look and see what Jesus proclaims as he begins his ministry. Look over in Luke chapter 4 for just a moment. We're going to come back to Matthew, but look over in Luke just chapter 4 for just a moment. <clears throat> as Jesus begins his ministry, as Luke records here in chapter 4, beginning at verse 14, it says, And Jesus returned to Galilee, and the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised by all. Verse 16, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to free those who are downtrodden, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and eyes of all the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I love this passage. I love the imagery of what's taking place here. As our Lord enters the synagogue, and someone hands him the book of Isaiah, which had so much to say about him. And he opens it to this place and reads here about the coming favorable year of the Lord. 
And he sits down and all those are looking at him. And he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today is the day. The Lord is here. Go back to Matthew now. In chapter 4, this is Matthew's accounting of as Jesus begins his, his ministry right after he's been tempted by the devil. Similar in time period to what we just read there in Luke. Verse 12, now when he heard that John had been taken into custody, this is Matthew chapter 4 beginning of verse 12. When he had heard John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the region of Zebulon and Naphtali. This was to fulfill the spoken, what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying, In the land of Zebulon, in the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea of the Jordan, uh, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light, and to those who were sitting in the land of shadow of death, upon them life dawned. Look what it says in verse 17. And from that time, Jesus began to preach to them, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As we see John there in the wilderness making the paths for the coming Lord, what was his message? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then when Jesus comes on the scene and, and he begins his ministry, what's the message that he is preaching? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you look down in verse 23 there of Matthew 4, it says, And Jesus was going about in all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. There it is again. Proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And so we come over to chapter 5 in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And we look there in verse 3 as he begins, and we know these as the Beatitudes. As he begins there in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. How important is this kingdom of heaven? It's very important, isn't it? It's what we as Christians are looking for. Is what we as Christians have become a part of. We're in that kingdom. And the message was going out. As Jesus comes into the world to proclaim the gospel, to do those things that Isaiah the prophet spoke about of him. His message is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. I want to come down and talk about how Jesus fulfills the law. We have their recording of the Beatitudes where he speaks about those who are of the the, the, the characteristics of those who would be in the kingdom, poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, those who are gentle, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He comes down to verse 13 and he talks about how these people are the salt of the earth and the light of the earth and how their righteousness needs to be active and needs to be useful as the salt and the light are. What I want to talk to you this morning about is what we read there from the scripture just a moment ago from verses 17 through 20 and how it is that Jesus fulfills the law. And he says there in verse 17, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. As we read there in our introduction, as Jesus stands up there in the, in the synagogue in Nazareth and he's handed the scroll and he reads from Isaiah 
And he reads of a prophecy about the coming Lord, about the coming day of the Lord. And so Jesus reminds his audience here as he's, as he's giving this sermon. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law of the prophets, but to fulfill, to complete, to fill up, to take those prophecies that, that have been spoken about me and to fulfill them. Every single one of them. We see there in verse 17, another way of understanding is Jesus came to complete the law and the prophets, not to destroy them. It was not to take the old law, the law of God, the law that was handed down to Moses, and to rip it up. No, he says, I came to fulfill the law. There are some 300 plus prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus, about this coming Messiah, about the one who would save the world about the one who would redeem man back to God. So when Jesus comes and begins his prophecy, or begins his, his ministry, he says, I'm not, I'm not tearing all that up. I'm fulfilling what's been said about me. Part of his purpose was indeed to fulfill all those. And why? It's because he would then show how God's plan would come to fruition. And he would not discredit God's promise about the coming Messiah. God told his people that he was going to deliver them. In the immediate context, it was a deliverance in, in, of the earth. The remnant that would survive captivity and would, would be able to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and rebuild the walls. That's a prophecy of, of, of a salvation in, in one sense. But in those prophecies are an illusion about the coming of the Savior of the world. And that's Jesus Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 24 and 25, Therefore the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ, so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The Old Testament is important. It's important to us today. We do a lot of study here in Cortez from the Old Testament. It's because it's important. Why? Because it's a tutor. It's a tutor. Leads us to Christ. Now, we're not under the law of the Old Testament because of what is said right there. Well, now the faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. But it's important for us to deepen and, and, and appreciate our Lord all the more because of what we read there. And it's prophecies like this from Jeremiah 31 that our Lord is referring to. Jeremiah 31, beginning in verse 31. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declare the Lord. This is a prophecy about the coming of the law of Christ. This is the new covenant that the Lord is going to make with those who are faithful to him. And when Jesus talks about fulfilling the law and the prophets, this is what he's talking about, among others. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6, But now that he has obtained a more excellent ministry, by as much as he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. We spoke this morning in our Bible class about the book of Hebrews and what the main message of it is. 
And it is the superiority of Christ. The Hebrew writer tells his audience about the, the old law and the things that were there under the old law, under the direction of God. The blood of bulls and calves. The things that the priests were supposed to do. All those things were ordained by God and to be done in, his, uh, in the way that he had prescribed. But the Hebrew writer is also making the argument that Christ has come. And he is the better covenant. He's the mediator of the better covenant. Enacted on better promises. It's not the blood of bulls and goats. It's the blood of our Lord that saves us. Now we have those better things. And this is what Jesus is talking about. When he talks about, I did not come to, to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. All those things that the, the priests um, participated in, those were sh shadows of the things that our Lord was. Look here in verse 18, Matthew 5. It says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Not only is, is Jesus saying that uh, I came to fulfill the law and the prophets, he's also saying that it's still going on. The law is still in, in place. It would remain in, in effect until all is accomplished. Remember, Jesus is on this earth, and he's a Jew, right? And he's expected as a Jew to keep the law. Jesus kept the law. And we understand that from things such as the Passover. If we read there in Matthew chapter 26 and verse 18, our Lord saying, And he said, go into the, or the this is our Lord speaking, when he says, go into the city uh, to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, my time is near. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. This is Jesus giving instructions to go to this, uh, to this man and say to him that i got to keep the Passover. And why? Because Jesus was under the old law. Jesus was born a Jew. Jews were expected to keep the law. So he's saying that the law is going to remain in effect till all is accomplished. So Jesus is on the earth. He's keeping the Passover. And there's a time here that during his ministry, then things are going to be accomplished when his ministry is over. And we know that from such verses as John chapter 17 and verse 4, it says, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. So we see here towards the end of his life, when our Lord says that, I've accomplished it. I have fulfilled what you have given me to do, my Father in heaven. His ministry on earth did in fact fulfill the law. So as he's speaking here in Matthew chapter 5, he's saying until all is accomplished, the law is going to remain in effect. And you Jews would do well to remember it and keep it. And that's a big part of what he goes on to say here in, chapter five, in the rest of chapter 5. We'll talk about that in just a moment. In verse 19, it says, Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and so teaches others shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. The teachers of the time were expected to what? To teach the law. And they weren't really doing that. They were teaching a perversion of the law. They were teaching things about the law where they'd gone too far. 
And our Lord's going to go on to blast them for it. About tithing, mint, and cumin. About being good on the outside, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. He'll go on to blast them about it. Here in chapter 5, he's going to correct some teachings that they have been doing and, and make, them, make them right and, and understand them. It's the scribes and the Pharisees that he's addressing here. These are the ones who are the teachers of the time. The scribes are those who wrote down the law. But they were looked at as those who had some authority in the law. And the Pharisees took it upon themselves to be the, the dispensers of authority, if you will. They took it upon themselves to take the law to places where God didn't intend for it to go, such as tithing, mint, and cumin. They're, they're missing the, the bigger things here. You see, because they were teaching the letter of the law, but they were not teaching the spirit of the law. And that's what's important. The letter of the law says do not murder. As Jesus talks about here in beginning of verse 21 of Matthew 5. He goes on to tell them that you're missing the spirit here. If you have hate in your heart towards your brother, you've got a problem already. That's the spirit of the law. The hate in your heart is going to lead you to murder that brother. There's the problem. Yes, the letter of the law says don't murder, but the spirit of the law says don't have hate in your heart towards your brother. He makes this clear in his teachings when he goes throughout chapter 5 when he says, You have heard it said. This is what's being told to you. It's not necessarily what God has said. Now, he'll quote directly from the Old Testament and the Old Law. But he goes on to tell them that there's some things that they're telling you that are not right. This is Jesus setting the stage for what's going to come next. And that's going to be explained here in verse 20. It says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter what? The kingdom of heaven. There it is again. If your righteousness is not greater than the scribes and the Pharisees, this kingdom of heaven that I've been talking about, guess what? You're not going to enter into it. There's an expected level of righteousness that comes along with being a child of God. To being a child of our Lord. What does he expect of his children? He expects a certain level of righteousness. And it was to surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. See, they were taking things and they were twisting it and they were going too far and they were binding things on men that, that weren't supposed to be bound and they were relying on their own knowledge and their own ways and their own customs. Jesus corrects them for that. And says, your righteousness, you who want to be a child of mine, is going to have to surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, otherwise, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. It's just that simple. This now sets the stage for the contrast that Jesus is going to talk about in the remaining verses of chapter 5. You have heard it said, but this is really what's meant by that. And, God, and Jesus had the authority to say that. And the people recognized that he had that authority. Look over at the end of chapter 7 for just one second. 
At the end of chapter 7, after he concludes this message, look what the reaction of the people was. In chapter 7, verse 28, it says, The result of this, when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at his teaching. Why? For he was one teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. They recognized that this one that was teaching was teaching with authority. Not like these scribes. Not like the ones that were holding them to things that weren't in Scripture. They were going too far. And again, this is where the spirit of the law is to be emphasized. When our Lord talks about having hate in your heart, He talks about adultery. He talks about how if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already. Speaking of covetousness, that's wrong too. They were just holding to, basically, as long as you don't commit adultery, you're okay. Jesus says you're missing the spirit. You're already coveting. You're missing the spirit of the law. And what Jesus is doing in all this is he is reestablishing God's intent for the law. Remember his audience and what he's speaking about and who he's speaking to is these are those who are trying to keep the law. So he's telling them, you still need to keep it. But here's the real intent of the law. Here's what you're missing. Here's what the scribes and the Pharisees are not telling you or telling you too much. Your righteousness is expected to be above them, to be above that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The immediate context is to those who are still under the law. In verse 24, it says there, Leave your offering before, uh, before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come back and present your offering. He's talking about if you're going to leave an offering before the altar, that's something they do under the old law. So he's talking to those and, and encouraging those who are trying to keep the old law to do it in the proper way. If you're taking an altar and you've got something against your brother, leave your offering at the altar and go back and make that right. And then come back and make your offering. And we understand, and it's important to understand, that this is that transition period between the laws. Jesus has said that the law is going to be accomplished. Not a stroke or a letter. I think the old King James says, jot or tittle. Referring to the little marks in the, in the writings of the law. Not even that is going to pass away until God's law is fulfilled. So this is that transition period when our Lord is, is on the earth. He's still keeping the law. He's expecting those around him to keep the law, those who are Jews. But there's going to be a time when the law is fulfilled. And we just mentioned that from John chapter 17 and verse 4 when Jesus says, I have fulfilled the law. And he goes on to the cross of Calvary, who's put to death. And thus nailing that old law to his cross. God has always been concerned with the condition of the heart. We think often and we, we say often and teach often about the letter of the old law, how it was so regulated and regimented and there were so many things to be kept. And Even in all that, God was, was interested in the condition of the heart. He always has been. And Jesus reaffirms that with this. He's saying, look, you know, these are the, this is the, the letter of the law, but here's the spirit of the law. God was, in, was interested in the condition of the, of the hearts of the Israelites. It wasn't just 
by rote that he wanted them to worship him. He wanted them to worship him from the heart. And this is going to become so crucial and all the more important under the law of Christ. And that's why the things that we've been talking about are so important, about the old law, about that being the tutor that led us to Christ, about those prophecies in Isaiah and Jeremiah, about the coming of the Lord. That's why that's so important, so that we understand and can fully put it all together. So that we can have the benefit and know most clearly about the revelation of Jesus Christ. But we have to be careful about that. We have to be careful that thinking that we've been released from the old law, and now we're in the law of Christ, that we have total freedom. It's not true. We still have the law of Christ to keep. But there is much freedom in it. But Paul says it this way in Galatians 5, beginning of verse 13. It says, you were, But you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom in an op- into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So we have this freedom under the law of Christ, but it's not an opportunity for us to rely on self. We still have to rely on God. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's still in effect. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. We have a lot of freedom under the law of Christ. We don't have to sacrifice animals and sprinkle blood and all the the feasts and certain days and all those things that had to be kept by the Jews. We're freed from that. We're under the law of Christ. We have to be careful with our freedom. We still have to love your neighbor as yourself. We're still commanded to do that. So in our freedom, we're not released from that. The message here that Paul is saying is be careful that you don't bite and devour your brother because he might bite and devour you. Take care with the freedom that you have and understand that if you're loving one another, that won't happen. There's an expected level of righteousness that Jesus has, has brought in under the law of Christ. Understand that, as we've mentioned and said it over and over again, Jesus did not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it to fill it up, to complete it. It wasn't his purpose to rip up what God had given the children of Israel. In fact, he refers to it often. In the very text that we read there from Luke chapter 4, when he's given the, the book of Isaiah to read from, and he says, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. That lets us know that he, is here to, that he was here to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. The law would remain in place until his work was accomplished. So as he's giving this Sermon on the Mount, he's telling his audience here that you're still expected to keep the law. He kept the law, he kept the Passover. We see him doing that. The law would remain in place until his work was accomplished, and he would, he would be the one who would signal when that was done. And he told his, his father that his work had been accomplished, and then dying on the cross tells us 
that his work was accomplished. The teachers of the time were expected to teach accordingly. Every letter and stroke of the law, they were expected to teach. Those wishing to enter the kingdom of heaven must have a righteousness surpassing the scribes and the Pharisees. So the message to us today comes down to that verse 20. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So if we want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, there's a certain level of righteousness that we have to achieve. And the New Testament tells us what that level is. We can sum it up in simple ways, as our Lord did. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God first. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. We can sum it up that way. That's under the law of Christ. But that's what has God has expected all along. He's expected his children to love him and to love each other. So if you want to be a child of God, you're expected to love him and to love each other. If you're not a child of God, I would encourage you to consider very seriously what that means. It means that you're not in the kingdom. It means that you are not privy to the blessings that come from being in the kingdom. It means that you're lost in this world. If we can help you with that, we'd love to. If as a child of God you're not living that level of righteousness beyond the scribes and the Pharisees, I encourage you to make that change as well. If you have needs of the congregation, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.